After reading the readings this week to prepare the sermon, I thought uh, I would preach a ramble on healing, the gospel from Mark, which is the healing of the leper, and maybe say some things about how you and I appropriate the concept of healing in our uh, spiritual life and development. Uh, what do we mean by it as Christian people when we use the term? How do, how do we understand what Jesus uh, meant when he performed all of these healings? And maybe to say a word about lepers as a metaphor for all the people that uh, we find difficult and put on the margins because of some species of unacceptability. I was also moved to do this because of my teacher, O.C. Edwards, who said, you know, uh, it's not important what the Bible says, it's important what the Bible means. Maybe we could say not as important what the Bible says uh, as what the Bible means. And also my belief that um, in one of Marcus Borg's books, he quotes a, an Episcopal priest from somewhere in the Diocese of Oregon who said, the Bible is true and some of it happened. So let me tell you a, a little some historical something. Uh, when I was in seminary, I was taught the modern biblical critical method. And we were always reminded of something known as the assured results of modern biblical criticism. Well, I've always been interested in this. You know, this, one of the reasons I became a priest is I'm actually interested in the Bible and in theology and try to keep up. So I've done a lot of reading over the years on New Testament studies, on the Old Testament, and so forth. And I can tell you that in 2012, the assured results of biblical scholarship no longer look as assured as they did when I was in seminary in the 1970s. And what that means is that the biblical witness has not turned out to be less reliable, but more reliable in historical terms, which for many of you, including myself, may constitute something of a, of a revelation. So when we think about the healing of Jesus, healings of Jesus and about how the early Christians appropriated what they meant, and in our own lives, you and I can and expect and believe that God heals people and that you and I, as transparencies and reflections of God's grace and love, can participate in the healing processes of community. This is not some magical undertaking that uh, we see and read about in the Bible. Magical thinking has not left the human race. I think most of us engage in various species of magical thinking all the time. Sometimes when I can't sleep, I lay in bed or lie in bed and I think to myself, how would I spend the winnings that I would get in the lottery? <laughs> and here's the thing, I've never bought a lottery ticket. So maybe that would be the first step, right? <laughs> Before I contemplate how I would spend the winnings. But we all have this kind of magical thinking that somehow in the midst of difficult situations, God will come and somehow transport us out of the difficulty and so on. We're coming close to the season of Lent. And one of the learnings in the season of Lent every year is that the only way for us to 
get some healing, some mastery over difficult things is not to go above them, underneath them, or around them, but through them. And the cross of Jesus Christ is an example precisely of the necessity uh, for that. Some people think, oh, it can't be so. But Christian people have held to that, and I think with a good justification. So let me say some things to you about um, healing and Jesus and miracles and so forth. Somebody said years ago, I think we had a, a sign actually in the parish kitchen. I don't know who put it up that said, a coincidence is when God works a miracle and chooses to remain anonymous. Ben Witherington III, there's a mouthful, is a professor of New Testament. I think he's at Southern Methodist University, or he used to be. He wrote a book on the gospel according to St. Mark, and he talks about the healing and the miracles in Mark's gospel. And this is kind of New Testament scholarly stuff, but I'm just going to read it to you anyway. The miracles and the healings can perhaps create an openness to true faith in Jesus, but not create faith. A belief in Jesus' ability to perform miracles is a true but inadequate faith in him. Lack of faith can hinder or prevent Jesus from performing all the miracles he might in a given locale. And we read in more than one place in the New Testament where Jesus shows up somewhere and because of the pushback and the resistance. I lived in Marin County for a number of years. They would have said down at Gate 5 in Sausalito, the bad energy fixed it so that he could do no mighty work. You know, one of the places where he had the toughest time was when he was in his hometown and with his own family. I bet some of you have been in situations in your family where you are prepared to say with the Savior, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. Right? So it means something, doesn't it, about the reciprocal nature of the healing power of God. It's not zap theology. We used to call that in the seminary. Bzzzt. Take up your bed. Right? There's something else operating in this. Miracles can strengthen the faith of someone who already believes in Jesus. Miracles are not the main thrust of Jesus' ministry. He does not normally set out to perform miracles but rather does so on request, providing a sort of crisis intervention service in this regard. Unlike other exorcists, Jesus uses no chants, no spells or incantations in performing his exorcisms and healings. He simply speaks the word of power and in some cases touch and the exorcism healing transpires. It is the power of Jesus' teaching that gives him the ability to overcome the demonic forces. The word miracle in English is never used in the New Testament. Or it is, dynamis means 
deeds of power, demonstrations of the nearness of the kingdom of God. So we have the gospel where a leper comes and kneels before Jesus and asks Jesus to heal him. In Greek, lepros means disease of the skin. So in the ancient Near East, a person who was said to have leprosy could have eczema, the heartbreak of psoriasis, some scrofulous disease that manifested itself on the skin, not Hansen's disease, which is the technical name for leprosy. They could have had leprosy too, but most of the time it is some skin disease. And here's the thing. In the ancient Near East and in the culture that Jesus grew up in, a person who had a skin disease was thought to have been guilty of a very great sin and was being punished by God. In later rabbinic literature, after the New Testament, the rabbis will say that to heal somebody of a skin ailment is harder than raising them from the dead. And, of course, we know this nowadays because of the nature of these ailments. They're often chronic, aren't they? They kind of go away and they come back and they go away and they come back. So this man who was a leper kneels before Jesus and asks him to heal him. If you will, he said. If you choose. So it says in the translation that we read, Jesus moved with pity, says, said, I, I choose to. Now here's a little interesting thing. You can keep on ice, amaze your friends, if a discussion of this passage ever comes up in ordinary conversation. There is a strong minority in the manuscript tradition which means the manuscripts that we possess of Mark's gospel in the original Greek, there is a minority of manuscripts enough to mention this in a sermon that say Jesus was moved with anger. Not pity. Although, as someone observed in the sermon discussion group, pity and anger can sometimes be bedfellows in a, in a sense. So why in the world would he be angry? Would he be angry because he was being bugged again by somebody that he had to perform a healing on? Would he be angry because he knew that in spite of his request to the leper not to tell anybody the leper was going to blab it all over the place. This is important because throughout Mark's gospel, he keeps saying and doing things and telling people not to say anything about it. And they continuously disobey him. 
The practical consequences of this is it says at the end of today's gospel is that he is now on the run. That's really what the underneath of this is. He can't go into the big towns because the religious leadership is after him. And the more people talk and the more notoriety that he receives for something that he doesn't consider the centerpiece of his vocation and his messianic ministry uh, could be disconcerting on one level. There is something in the old assured results of biblical scholarship that I learned that is now uh, about over, well over a hundred years old and it's called the Messianic Secret in Mark. There was a German biblical scholar named Wilhelm Rede who wrote a book called The Messianic Secret, Secret in the 1880s or 1890s. And he believed that Mark was using a literary device to mask who Jesus really was until we get to the cross. And so in the course of all this, he creates this messianic secret. I don't think that's true at all. I think Jesus, in some ways, did not want the notoriety because he understood his vocation in another way. And by the way, his going to Jerusalem and being tried and crucified was for him plan B. he realized that this was what he had to do, finally. So maybe he was angry about the final thing, and that is that here's another leper, another person outcast, because of, in a sense, a superstitious belief in the causes of his malady. And perhaps a demonstration of that is that Jesus reaches out and touches this man. Completely violating the proscriptions of his religious practice. It now rendered him ritually unclean to touch him. Now here's the other interesting thing that maybe makes your head hurt. But about three weeks ago on YouTube, I saw a portion of a conference uh, that was done at, in San Francisco with the Society of Biblical Literature. And they had a number of panelists who were uh, very well known, John Dominic Crossan, N.T. Wright, Bart Ehrman. And there was a woman who was uh, a Jewish scholar who had done a lot of work on the historical Jesus. And at the question and answer period, a student got up and said, in 30 seconds or less, if somebody came up and said to you, who is Jesus of Nazareth, what would you say? And she said, I believe that Jesus was a halakhically observant Jew who believed that all of his religious confrères should do the same and practice the, the Torah and do these things. They all said, Thank you, but we're not interested. It's simply too hard. So I mention this because here he reaches out and touches the leper. It is a reminder that God reaches through his own religious proscriptions to save the lost.
This is a way of understanding the importance of what we mean when we say God unconditionally loves, accepts, and forgives us. It's not that you get a pass on practicing. It's that you un we understand that God is God. And he touches this man. And what does he tell him after he receives his healing? Go and show yourself to the priests. Dot the I and cross the T. So now you get the certification that you have been healed. This passage could also be about uh, the lepers that are created in our own culture and society. Uh, righteous people tend to like to do this for some reason, sort of to compare. I'm doing this, I'm not doing that, I'm not like them. We have preconceived notions about people who are not like us because we're afraid of them or we don't know about them or understand them. I have just was this week for two days, three days, but two of them, uh, at the clergy conference with some presenters from the Industrial Areas Foundation, which is a famous community organizing organization in the United States. And one of the presenters is a guy who is in Salinas, and he runs one of the local uh, pieces to this called COPA. And he does a lot of work with the gangs in Salinas. Just a little inside it. Salinas is the, is the no man's land between the northern gang of California, Latino gang, and the southern gang. The northern gang is Nuestra Familia, and the southern gang is the Mexican Mafia. And Salinas is right in the middle. But he told us a story about himself that uh, reminded me of this when I wrote my sermon. He said, I grew up in Salinas, and my father's name is Joaquin Sanchez. I grew up in Salinas, and my father had a piano repair and refinishing business. And when I was about 18, I was in his shop, uh, and a man came in whose piano was being rebuilt and refinished. And I was standing there over in the corner, and he said, this man treated my father with absolutely dripping condescension. And I was young and I was so angry that if I could look at him and kill him, I would have. So this guy looked over and he saw Joaquin and he kind of did a double take and he said to his father, who's that? He said, that's my son Joaquin. He said, oh, is he in the business here with you? He said, no, my son has just been accepted to the School of Engineering at the University of California at Berkeley. And he said, this man's demeanor completely changed. Oh, now you're one of us. The healing power of God is available to all people for all kinds of things. And you know what we discover? Most of us don't know the distinction about being healed and being cured. The doctor can cure you. 
Maybe. But even if you don't get cured, you can be healed. So when Christian people speak about healing, they're talking about the transformative power of God to work on our character in such a way as to not only give us some sense of serenity or how we cope in the midst of this adversity, if the healing doesn't take us back to the status quo ante, the way we were before, but gives us some tools that we can use about how to live with the real situation, and at the same time to provide us with the opportunity to share what we have learned in the midst of that with other people. It's called practical wisdom. So if you've been up against it, and you're suffering emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically, you can be healed by the power of God. You may not be cured. And so part of that, I guess, is for us to come to grips with that and what it might mean. But this gospel today says the Savior chooses to heal. That is the default position. Why does Jesus do these things if he's reluctant? And they're not the centerpiece of his ministry. Because healing and wholeness is a value of the kingdom of God. So wherever he is, it's there. And he is showing it by virtue of performing this healing. Not so you'll believe, but to understand that there is a world here where that kind of understanding of healing and wholeness is possible. So give thanks for the opportunity to uh, participate in the healing processes of God. Think about any healing you've received in your life, even if it's real small and what you learned about it and how you might be able to, to share that with somebody and its value and importance. Uh, in that way, you become the transparency and reflection of God's grace that you're called to be. Amen.